If you've ever lost a loved one suddenly, tragically, you likely know that the first year after their death is spent tussling with reality. Maybe this is especially true if the person you lost was someone young. So many years, they're not going to have. The world around you both flies by and slogs along. There's a sensation of feeling unmoored by anything that held you before. Schedules, relationships, pastimes. Now, imagine that grief on a community-wide scale, felt deeply and differently by every person, but a collective grief all the same. This is the story of Oxford Township. This is something we experienced. You felt like you were in this hole and you didn't know how to climb out of it. Part of the community, they just want to move on. Do you know anyone that wants to kind of forget or move past? Because I know I've definitely had friends like that. I feel like I wake up every morning kind of figuring out who I am. That anger is really what kind of pushed me over to become involved. He's stuck at 17 and I, I hate that. You're listening to a stateside special. Oxford, one year later. I'm April Bear. On November 30th, 2021, a student at Oxford High School walked into a boy's bathroom, pulled a gun from his backpack, and opened fire on his classmates. He wounded seven people and killed four other students. Madison Baldwin, 17 years old. Justin Schilling, 17 years old. Tate Meir, 16 years old. Hannah St. Juliana, 14 years old. Today, we're giving space to some of Oxford's community members to talk a bit about how they're processing the tragedy that befell Oxford and how they're coping. You'll hear from teachers, students, friends, a father, and a sibling who lost loved ones at Oxford High one year ago. They'll be talking to each other, having conversations together in pairs. You'll hear that the story of a school shooting doesn't end with a news cycle for a community like Oxford. We're going to start from a perspective heard less often in the aftermath of school shootings. Teachers. Lauren Rambo teaches science, and Melissa Gibbons teaches language arts at Oxford High. It's a large building, so they knew of each other, but they didn't know each other well before November 30th. I don't know if I would say we were friends, but we were friendly with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. But as happens with tragic events sometimes, a unique bond was formed between them, two of the very few teachers willing to speak out about what happened that day. Lauren Rambo was Justin Schilling's science teacher. He was headed to her class before the shooting began. Here's Melissa speaking with Lauren. So as we reflect on November 30th, what happened with you that day? Like, where were you at that moment? So it was between our fourth and fifth hour classes. And I was sitting at my desk and heard what I thought at first was banging sounds. And it sounded too rhythmic and too quick to be someone banging on a locker. 
immediately a flip switched and said, that's not right. I remember locking eyes with one of my students and both of our faces were kind of like, this is not, this is not good. So I ran to my classroom door, which was open. um, And I don't know that I did this, but I've been told I grabbed a couple students that were running by in the hallway and, and shut the door knowing it was locked, thank goodness. But also knowing with the proximity of what I heard, I did not have time to put in my night lock device. I was able to hit the light switch, wrench the door closed, and my students had already moved to the other end of my room. They were actually in front of the other set of windows that I had probably for this reason at one point covered in construction paper. So no one can see in or out, but they were vulnerable. They were sitting in front of windows. So I kind of quietly like, get out of there (laughs) and moved them uh, behind my desk. And And I know I have had a sticker with the number for the emergency line in the office. So I think my brain just said, call that number. And then, you know, we we waited. We got um, a message from one of the other students that wasn't with us. Unfortunately, lost his life. Um, But at the time, you know, we didn't know what was going on with him. He just wasn't in the room with us. You know, unfortunately, my windows out to the road could see the ambulances coming in and stretchers going out and things like that. So I was doing my very best to keep those kids from looking out there, just reassuring them that help was here. Police were here. We could hear and see the sirens. And for me, it was the walkie talkies. Um, I could hear what they were saying. And I knew that it wasn't good. But my job was to keep those kids from hearing what they were saying so and then of course you know we were escorted out of the building in a very specific route so that you know we wouldn't have to see anything um yeah so i know i know i know that training saved our lives because i know that that person was close to us because of what i could hear and you know of course what i've heard after and since yeah um what was What was it like for you on the other side of the building? So I was um, at the end of my little hallway, and um, I did hear the gunshots. And then all of a sudden, I saw a bunch of kids running around the corner. At that point, I shooed all these kids that I could find into classrooms. I think I grabbed three or four kids who I didn't even have, um, just shoved them all into my room. And I immediately locked my door, locked down, had the night lock in. Um, A lot of kids were asking, what's going on? I'm like, I I don't really know for sure, but I did hear gunshots um, because I wanted to be real with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, I'm not really sure, um, but we need to stay here. We need to stay put. We need to stay quiet. Once I kind of knew I was you know, my room was safe in terms of being locked down. That's when I checked in with my children, and then um, I texted my husband. And so when I look at it, I think we as a building did everything right. I really do. I think people need to know on that day that we did so many things right that really made a difference, and that doesn't bring back or take away from the tragedy that happened to our four students and our wounded students and our, our colleague. But I think to know that 
there were things that went exactly as they should have mm-hmm. and that saved lives is is a something that I'd like people to know. Can you talk a little bit about when kind of everything finally hit you? I- yeah, so um, for me, it was um, not until the evening um, when I was home. And so to give um, background to this, um, I am a teacher in the building. I have three children in the building, and my husband is in the building. Um, luckily, uh, my youngest child and my husband were home because she had tested for COVID that morning. Um, and so when we went into lockdown, I knew where um, my twins were supposed to be, but they were actually in one of the classes that got shot into, which I didn't know that until the l- next week, I think, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I would have initially been able to handle that stress. I pretty much had to say, just go with the, okay, my children are okay, they're locked down now, um, And then my focus had to be on my students in front of me. And I kind of just went through that mode of teacher mode after, I I think I want to say it was probably two hours or so um, when I made my way home and then all three kids were home. At that point is when I completely broke down and realized the magnitude of what we had, had experienced. Because even though I was worried about my own children, my initial thought was, okay, I have to take care of these kids. My colleagues are taking care of my own children. I have to take care of these children. You know, I, you use that teacher mode terminology, and I think it, it's a different mindset almost. You mm-hmm. have to turn off some things, and sometimes things creep through. I know you and yeah. I have talked about sometimes a noise from the hallway, just your adrenaline just goes up. If I hear running footsteps, mm-hmm. that's what I heard that day and so kids are running because they're late or they want to meet up with their friend but hearing those footsteps puts me right back where I was and I think the the unexpected is the weirdest part definitely I I would say it's um you know like slamming of doors screaming loud noises um again in context you know there are times where (laughs) loud noises are absolutely normal and it's fine right (laughs) Um, but yeah, and, and I think I've seen it with my children, too, that there are just unexpected things that happen. Um, we were at a band competition two or three weeks ago. Something fell. I think it was probably back on, at the concession stand, and it like almost had a shattering effect to it. And my one daughter and I both kind of jumped, and it was like, here we go. And it's okay to be in that moment, but then you have to kind of get back to like thinking logically like, okay, that doesn't make sense. You know, it's just something in the concession stand that fell, right? Yeah. Knowing that as an adult that happens to me, I can't, you know, imagine what some of the students are going through. And that makes it hard too, because we still need to teach them English and biology. Right. That's our job. Right. (laughs) But sometimes they can't learn it that day. Just like we may not feel like we can teach it that day, and that's tough. So what are some things that you hope to see um, either in our district or outside of um, some things that maybe could come from this or that you're hoping for? Oh, that's such a big big question, a big task. 
I think I am not a gun owner, but I appreciate people who are. I just, I really think that, um, you know, there has to be a responsibility put on parents um, for gun ownership specifically. Um, That if you are going to have a gun in your home, then you have to be responsible enough to make sure that a child, whether it's a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, 17-year-old, can't have access to it. I think schools are just so overwhelmed with being teachers, parents, counselors, social workers, every every role that you could potentially play um, has kind of been put on teachers and other school officials. Um, and I, I just think there needs to be much more of a... A partnership, and this is not just Oxford, this is not just Michigan, I think this is the state of education. So much has been put on teachers that eventually we're going to break. I think at first it was really hard for me to picture getting up and and doing anything other than kind of surviving and like you said being in teacher mode being at school with the kids and it was just overwhelming to think about even these students from Parkland who started the March for Our Lives movement how they could have the have anything left in the tank to Mm -hmm. to do those things right after what they experienced you know hearing details about the students and teachers who died in Uvalde we've talked about the anger um, that it one happened again and on such a unbelievable scale and all of the things that went wrong. It was a, a sort of a switch flipped from I can't to maybe if I do, it can be part of that healing for me to right. stand up. And, you know, I saw our students right. gathering and marching and and creating, you know, groups and nonprofits and, and the inspiration from our students and also that just anger for mm-hmm. what had happened made me realize somebody's got to. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that anger is really what kind of pushed me over to become involved. And after that, Uvalde, like that night, I can remember my my girls were actually coming home from dance, and one of them was just in tears, and she's the one that's actually going into elementary education, Mm -hmm. and she said, Mama, I don't know if I can do it, and that absolutely broke my heart, and it still breaks my heart, but then that anger definitely started to stir. Um, I just kind of feel like when when we were approached about this, you know, (laughs) that, um, boy, do I want to put myself out there again, but I just, I keep hearing my girls, like, you have to, and I just feel that if this is the way I can contribute and do something and spread awareness and, you know, let people know certain things about our experiences and um, how we are able to recover somewhat of our life and um, our hearts after such a tragedy, then I guess that's what I can do. You're listening to a stateside special, Oxford, one year later. Olivia McMillan and Abby Allian both lost a close friend in the shooting at Oxford, 
Justin Schilling, who, along with Olivia and Abby, was just a few months short of graduating. The last thing Olivia and I wanted to do, and I think probably other people that were very close, was like, move on from this. Justin's death has been an inflection point for his friend group, even if they may not know where this path leads. Here's Olivia speaking with Abby. Would you like to kind of speak about who Justin was? So I knew Justin since elementary school. He definitely made sure everybody around him uh, was okay and that everybody felt included. If there was like a new person in class, like he would be the first person to talk to them. Like you said, he was friends with pretty much everyone. I wouldn't say one person at school did not know him. Yeah. And one of the best things in his um, the obituary is he made his families out of his best friends' families. And I was like, yeah. that <laughs> describes it perfectly. He yeah. would just walk into your house and, oh, look who's here, yeah. Justin. Okay, you didn't knock. He was like, every parent's like favorite. favorite. Oh, my god, It's gosh. so annoying. It but was like, so annoying. My, he would call my dad <laughs> Father Marcus since freshman year. But I just think that shows so much to his character about who he was. Is he yeah. just loved people and loved yes. making people smile. So if you have a memory that, like, stands out um, with you and Justin or, like, in a group or something, what is the first one that comes to mind? I mean, I don't think I could pick just one, (laughs) but I would probably have to say when COVID started in 2020 and um, our friend group kind of came together. It was me and Olivia and Justin and then our our two friends, Jake and Ben. Ben was... um, one of Justin's best, best yeah he was he was his very friend. best friend they lived across the street from each other you and see Justin you see Ben we couldn't go inside because of COVID so we would just go outside every single day and we would go on bike rides or we would go swimming we would just do just like hang out with each other and I remember one time we built a slip and slide in <laughs> Olivia's backyard and Justin was trying to get Olivia's puppies to go down it and yeah. we put like soap and stuff all over it My and it was so much out. fun. We yeah. had a water balloon fight one of the times and uh-huh. it was just a very pure moment. Definitely like very, very meaningful and it was when we all became so close. Uh-huh. The one campfire we did oh, and we yeah. all went out and sat. He had like this like bench built. Yeah. And I just remember all five of us were squeezed on this small little bench <laughs> just talking about anything and everything. And I think I called you once we got home and I was like, I really, really love these people. I don't care where I end up or who I become. All I know is I will have these four people with me till the day I die. That is probably one of the most fun summers I will ever have. Yeah. Ever. So do you want to talk about how we found out about what happened to Justin? So I guess we kind of already knew when we were in the school still. Um, Our friend Jake had COVID at the time, and he was supposed to be in my class. So I knew he was okay. I knew he was safe. I knew he wasn't at school. But he ended up calling me. Jake calls me, and he was like, I just called Justin's phone. Like, a nurse answered. Like, I I don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, all we knew was that they said that he was stable. So we had, like, we had... Yeah, that was the other thing, is we were kind of being told, oh, he was stable. He's alive. He's at the hospital. And that whole day of, like, after, like, getting home was just weird. I didn't sleep that night at all, like, whatsoever. And the next morning, I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, I do. Then we found out he was on life support yeah. that morning. And we were like, okay, he's made it through the night. That seems like a good sign, in my opinion. And Jake called me yeah. and was like, 
they're taking him off of life support. I don't know when, like, I don't understand. And I just remember hanging up, sitting down on my bed, and I just yeah. hysterically started crying. It was like us, we found out, and then like our classmates found out, yeah. and then the news found out. And I remember like we had the news on, yeah. and oh. it was all four of us in the basement, and it was the first time they like said his name and that he passed away, and all four of us started crying. Just hearing his name, seeing his picture up on the news. I think it was because it wasn't just us in like our little town doing it. It was like a big news. Yeah, that program. It was like no way. Do you want to talk a bit about the organ donation, the walk of life? Um, yeah. That happened? So, where was that? What hospital was it? I can't think of it. McLaren it and Pontiac? In Pontiac, yeah. So, there was hundreds of people was gathered crazy. outside. And I remember we were all just standing there waiting because they said that we'd be able to see, like, not actually be able to see him, but, like, bed that he was on, like, his body. Like, it was so emotional for me, but, like, I remember so vividly, like, a skywalk. And I remember after they, like, wheeled Justin's body through, um, Justin's mom went over to the skywalk and everybody could see, like, it was everybody from the crowd could see her in this big window. And I remember she stood up on the ledge, like, on the window that everybody could see. I don't know. It made me very, very happy to, like, see her and just seeing how many people were there. And I think she just really wanted everybody to, like, oh, my gosh, look at what my son's doing. He's, like, saving six lives. It's just, it was such a surreal moment. Do you want to talk about kind of once stuff became, quote, unquote, normal again? I think the hardest part... And I think it goes with, like, any death, and but, like, especially, like, in school shootings and stuff like that. It just felt like, oh, we just want to, like, move on, pretend, pretend this didn't happen. Yeah. And we don't want to move on from that. We don't want people to forget about them. It's kids dealing with grief and trauma. That's not something that just goes away. And, I don't know, people expect, like, grief to just be this, like, one type linear thing. thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's something missing. The most painful things for me at least I think of it all there was this ongoing joke that when we got older that every Thursday (laughs) night we're gonna do some sort of dinner party at my house but Justin decided it was gonna be at my house and like yeah we can still do that but but it's not the same same. and you only have so many memories you only have so many pictures you only have so many videos yeah that's that's something that really really scares me is when like I remember a memory that I like hadn't even thought about in years mm-hmm. about him and I'm like what else have I forgot about as time goes on memories are going to be like way farther in the past like little things that like I took notice of years ago they're not still in my brain but mm-hmm. it's scary to think about like even years in the future I think that will be like the most heartbreaking thing because I feel mm-hmm. like I'm like getting farther away from him and I'm like losing a connection with him and I don't ever want to do that and that's like the scariest part about and, it like what I was thinking about the other day is like literally the 30th is going to be the one year mark of the last time we saw Justin yeah, and one of the saddest things is, like, one of the videos you took on your little camcorder, there's Justin in one of them being like, guys, imagine us looking back on this in, like, 30 yeah. years and, like, showing our kids these videos. Yeah. And, like, he was so excited to look back on that. And it's like, mm-hmm. he won't even be able to. He's stuck at 17, and I, I hate that. I know since everything happened, it's become more of, like, a sore subject, obviously, before seeing something like this happening somewhere else is like oh crap that's horrible but because it happened and you know Mm -hmm. we know the effects um how 
just stuff like that like Uvalde for example yeah. or the one that happened last week at what the University of Virginia yeah. like how does that make you feel and I, I kind of like can admit to like before this happened I was kind of in with that group where it's like oh I cared for a little bit because I heard it on the news and it's like slowly faded out didn't really think about it much and so it gave me that understanding of like oh my god that's awful that's terrible it's like Uvalde on the news like when we saw that it was like oh my god it's just like this crazy thing where you like basically relive it like yeah. I remember when I was watching the news stories I was like thinking about like how I felt that day just like reliving that day whenever you see something that happened again and it's heartbreaking because you know firsthand how it feels and how absolutely impossible it is to navigate there's not like a correct way to do it and it's heartbreaking that other people have to go through this too and god I wish like this wasn't a thing yeah I think before everything, I had developed like a deep, deep fear of a school shooting happening because of Parkland. I was so invested, I guess you could say, with it. Um, So when it happened, I was like thrown completely for a loop um, because, yeah, I feared it, but I didn't think it would. You never think it's going to happen. No. But after ours... um, I don't even know what to do at this point because I'm telling you my friend died and you don't care. That's exactly how it feels. And I get so riled up about it because these adults who are just oblivious and feel the need to be ignorant and ignore it that children are dying in their classrooms, like literal babies, like looking at you all day, 10 year olds Mm -hmm. are dying. How are you not? How are you not worried? this is insane why did i have to grow up doing lockdown drills yeah why did i have to do up doing grow up doing alice training mm-hmm. why do i have to fight for my life just in case a shooter comes to my school yeah. let's just prevent it but also they don't think about the like hundreds of thousands of kids that have to deal with this trauma every day as it's, well it's the kill it's the killed it's the injured it's the traumatized it's the families it's, yes the community like you yeah. look at oxford there's there's I don't think one person that day wasn't traumatized in the community in one way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Parents were traumatized. Siblings were traumatized. People who were there were traumatized. Teachers, staff members, like obviously family. Like Like nobody in that community will ever be the same. No. Just experiencing something that I've never wanted to. Never. Like it's just always like you never think that would happen to me. And after that, like, I felt like my life just did a full 180. And it's been hard to just kind of navigate, but I feel like uh, it's changed me permanently. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. The things I think about and the things I find important um, are a lot different than they used to be. 
Reina St. Juliana lost her little sister on November 30th. Hannah St. Juliana, the youngest victim who died at Oxford that day, was a freshman. Steve St. Juliana is Hannah and Reina's father. The St. Julianas have filed a lawsuit against the school district for damages in Hannah's death. It's another chapter in a story no one wants to write. On the day we met them, they were wearing shirts honoring Hannah's favorite things in her brief life. So there's a lot of pictures of food because she really loved food, especially Japanese food, um, the sports she played, volleyball and basketball, and then she was going to play lacrosse with me. She loved Converse. She was always wearing Converse. There's jewelry on there, just small things, I guess. We would go um, fruit picking uh, with my mom, Hannah, and I often, so there's strawberries and raspberries on there also. And the tree's in the shape of the UP because we'd go to the UP for Christmas every year. So, Marina, since we lost Hannah, how has your daily life changed? Well, now without Hannah, I think each day is different. And again, it's like nothing is normal. So. I mean, since you're, you don't go to the high school for your classes, you're taking community college classes. How does that feel as far as being away from the school and away from your your senior year? It definitely makes me mad. I, I feel like there is so much stolen from our family, from me, uh, regarding the school. It's just... I mean, it is my choice to not go back there, but I do find it unfair that, I, like, I want my childhood. Like, I want my last year of my high school. I want to be with my friends. I want to mess around in my classes and walk the hallways. I guess I don't find many things that I can relate to with people my age right now, at least. Uh, I have a hard time. Uh, I guess being around them and feeling okay because my mind is always somewhere else. How has your life changed as a whole after the shooting? So for me, it's been a major, a major shift in outlook and priorities. I mean, I think before this happened for the last few years i've been prioritizing family life more than work a little bit more every year um you know going to your sport activities and and, and things like that um now it's difficult to it's difficult to prioritize um anything other than our family at this point, to tell you the truth. I think it's taken a lot of drive from me. Whether it's work or community or anything, um, I'll just 
the desire and energy motivation is just um, lacking. I think um, my view of society has turned a lot more cynical. I can remember when I first traveled overseas and lived overseas, I would speak very, very proudly and of being an American, of defending the American way of life. And I have a hard time doing that now. Um, I look around and I think that uh, our, our country's in trouble. I think it's just sad. I think some people just have a hard time coming to terms with reality. Obviously, anyone with common sense would understand that if the gun had been locked up, it would not have been used to shoot four and kill them and shoot seven and injure them. Um, and yet, there are people... Uh, who were there that day saying that that wouldn't have prevented the tragedy. And it, it shocks me. It shocks me because, like, people lost someone that day from a preventable tragedy. Like, again, like, school shootings are preventable, and they're going to confidently state that nothing would have stopped it, that some type of gun reform wouldn't have saved Hannah's life. I, I don't understand. I, I really don't. Yeah, there's still trying to deal with the public, um, deal with the media, deal with all of these uh, new outside forces. Um, and even on inside. Us. And even inside the school, yeah. So I think that those are the two biggest shifts for me: is the priorities, and then having all of this additional, these additional things to deal with on a daily, constant basis. What do you think the school has done right? What have they done right? So that's a. Uh, that's kind of a tough question. Um, if you would have asked me that a few months ago, my answer might have been a little more positive. Um, but looking at every every move that school's done, um, for everything that was slightly in the positive direction it just seemed like there was never quite done correctly the idea might have been good but the execution was fumbled so i mean one of the direct impacts of the school's actions or in this case inaction obviously for us was the lack of information um, the lack of accountability. The lack of transparency. All of the above. Um, as, as we waited 
day by day, week by week, month by month for the school to come forward and take some action to bring out what happened so that it can be addressed and can never happen again. Um, it was just delaying tactics, then excuses. Um, so, so Reina, how would you describe your feelings with the way that the school has handled the whole situation? I think it really opened my eyes up to the fact that some people will continue to choose wrong. Um, I, I just like, I, I guess that was mind boggling for me. I, I lost my sister. I lost my favorite person and it was murder. It was a preventable tragedy and I could have had my whole life with Hana and I don't get that. And now I don't even have, I, I don't even get to be heard. And so what I thought, at least at the beginning, was that the school would come and say the truth so that they can change their internal system that's obviously broken um, so that no other kid was going to be murdered, at least in Oxford High School. And I thought they would honor my sister's life and Justin, Madison, and Tate's as well. I, I, they, they speak so pridefully of, of Oxford Strong. You'd think, you know, okay, so you got four students who lost their lives in that building. At least their memories will be held alive there. But no, that wasn't the case whatsoever. And I think on top of trying to deal with losing Hannah and then fighting for her memory it, it, it just it really took a toll on me uh, I think I, I don't wake up a day where I'm not angry I, I don't wake up a day where I'm not sad like in most days I, I can't even feel my emotions because there's just too much of it, it it's been mind-boggling to see the absolute total lack of accountability or responsibility the school has taken absolutely zero responsibility for anything that happened and the community in general there's a large chunk of the community that has been outraged has been supportive but I have to say <laughs> uh, you know we're just came out of the elections and the fact that a sitting school board member was re-elected I'm sorry I, I I question what is this community thinking you know how how are they are they really taking what happened seriously part of the community they just want to move on and how does that Stop it from happening again. It doesn't. So Reina, the school finally implemented a temporary memorial and 
that was largely due to your efforts. Um, how does what has now been done meet up with your expectations and how do you feel about it? Well, the fact that I went in on January 22nd, I went in to ask for at least something temporary until a permanent one was even in discussion. It was up and done in September. It's small and doesn't even fit the whole wall. And it's inaccessible during school hours. It's also inaccessible after school hours. So I'm wondering when students are even able to access it or even look at it because it is hidden in a corner. We fought so hard and it, it it wasn't just me it was it was the students and it was the friends and it was the families also who stood up and asked for this and to even get a picture in a few paragraphs under uh, it it was ridiculous we had to get students about around a hundred I'd say of students and parents to come to a school board meeting and beg for pictures because apparently the smiles of Hannah, Justin, Tate, and Madison were too triggering. And when we asked for the students to be able to have a say in where it's gonna be put, the location of it, we were denied. And so when I first saw the temporary memorial, the second week of the school, I, I, I cried. I, I cried, I was, I was so frustrated when I saw it because all, all the sweat, tears and everything that went into fighting for them to honor Hannah, Justin Tate and Madison ended with that. So how do you keep moving forward from all this negativity? How do I keep moving forward? Um, been asked that several times. Don't really have a good answer. It's just maintaining a focus on what's good for my family and taking one one day at a time one step forward is my focus is trying to keep the momentum moving forward um because i'm i'm afraid if we stop that it'd just be too difficult to get moving again what has helped you the most to deal with the fallout for everything that's happened? I think seeing others fight for the truth and asking questions, demanding answers. I mean, like the parents who showed up at all the school board meetings and it's the the parents who are emailing the superintendent constantly, you know? I, I just, I think I gain a little bit more energy watching them do that. It it makes all of us, I think, who are fighting for the exact same thing feel less alone. Yeah, I I totally agree. I don't think that I would have been able to get through this without being able to see at least some of the community step up and and take the fight forward. Um, 
because I, I didn't have, I just didn't have the energy to do it. And like you said, just to see that there were some, some people in the community who just really stepped up. They formed, you know, different groups and, and are just fighting to get the truth out and to make changes and to keep the kids safe. I mean, like right after, you know, you feel pretty down meeting with some district members and not really going anywhere. I, I just, I seriously look to the other people for inspiration. Like I, when I am at my lowest and I, I, and it's taking everything in me to not stop, I guess. I just, I mean, I tell myself like there are others who are doing it too, like, it's the right thing. But I think what has helped the most out of everything is um, the things people do for Hana. Um, For example, when we had our Hana Blooms pop-up shop, I guess, fundraising event for which the original plan was to have a tree and a bench um, at Seymour Lake to... I call it Hannah's Garden and honor her. But because of the unbelievable amount of support we got and like the unimaginable amount of people that like showed up that was beyond expectation, like we were able to do more with the garden idea. I have not felt happiness since the shooting until that day. Yeah, so the garden is expanded and has now um, grown uh, to a quite beautiful vision. Um, the design is now incorporating um, something for um, all four of the victims. I, I think when uh, it's done, the, it's going to be just a beautiful thing for the community. Uh, some place just to you know where you can look around and you can see life blooming and appreciate what you have. Um, how do you see um, Hannah being remembered? Well, I'd want Hannah to be remembered for Hannah. Um, she was always so true to herself and always knew right from wrong. Like, I just want people to remember her for her sarcastic remarks and then her contagious laugh that followed after. And even though she was sarcastic, uh, I just, her thoughtfulness and her ability to notice the smallest of details and her big heart. You're listening to a stateside special, Oxford, one year later. The circle of people affected by Oxford Township's shooting is wide. And while Michigan has not passed significant gun storage or sales reforms over the course of the past year, there has been a power shift in Lansing. And advocates are hoping that change will come when the legislature gets back to work in January. Much of the advocacy in the Oxford community originated with young people who were at school the day of the shootings. Zoe Ture and Aubrey Greenfield are Oxford survivors. 
So he graduated last spring. Aubrey's now a senior. Their casual friendship has turned into a bond of advocacy. So, of course. So I'm yeah. Zoe. So we're with March for Our Lives. So basically it's this group that was started by, do you know what Parkland was? Like the big school shooting Parkland? So 2018. So Zoe and Aubrey have become active with March for Our Lives, founded by school shooting survivors in Parkland, Florida. They were out at the University of Michigan recently, encouraging young people to vote with gun violence in mind as a political issue. Because we were survivors of the Oxford school shooting, so we're trying to go around and spread the word because we kind of want to prevent another Oxford from happening. So we're both very excited to like be able to give information out to potential voters. This is really beautiful. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh my God, but I appreciate your child advocating for... Right. This is... We need, things need to change. Things need to change. Yeah, no problem. Thank you as well. Here's Zoe and Aubrey sitting down together. Zoe speaks first. So what has it been like for you to be back at the school? Because, like, for example, the security. Like, the security, I didn't realize was, like, that much more in depth. So Mm -hmm. how has that been for you? It's been interesting and an adjustment for sure. Um, So we have Evolve now, which isn't a metal detector. It's a weapons-detecting device. (laughs) So it's supposed to be able to point, like pick out the shape of a weapon, and then it'll flash red, and then you have to step to the side, and you have to walk through again without your stuff while they search your bag. And we still have clear backpacks, and we also have to swipe in with our IDs, or they we walk up and they scan them mm-hmm. when we get there. Um, they really want to make sure that students feel like they can go to class without worries. And as much as they're trying, it doesn't subside the fact that Some days I feel like I'm still walking over graves Mm -hmm. because they repainted the walls and they changed the carpeting and they got us therapy dogs and all this. But we're still walking over the same spot where students died. We talk about this all the time. I know. Like I still walk past where I saw blood on the floor the day of the 30th. Like I walk by and I can't help but glance because I can still picture it. Um, You cry. (laughs) You hug. I know. (laughs) But it's – I don't know. It's – and like I'm laughing about it because I'm – you know, I'm uncomfortable talking about it. But it's – that's just my reaction to things is I try and, like, I'm like, haha, funny, but mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. But it's, like, a serious thing. Yeah, it's a serious thing. Like, I'll go down the hall that I get evacuated from, and I still can picture everything. I can picture seeing my teacher um, with SWAT officers. I can picture, yeah, blood trickling on the floor. Um, I can still, like, imagine when I glanced to my right and saw officers and tape. And it's, and I can still imagine when I walked out of the school and, like, that's when it hit was mm-hmm. the second I walked out of the building. And I remember walking out and hearing helicopters swirl, um, and I remember SWAT, and I was like, this is real. And people with guns, like, holding guns, um, yeah, and I was like, this is, like, it really hit. But what about you? Like, how – because you graduated already, but you come back for different um, events. Like, I know you're helping with um, Oxford Legacy going to Uvalde, Mm -hmm. and you came back the other day to help me with March for Our Lives stuff. So how's it feel walking back after you graduated? Um, I've been talking – honestly a lot about this the past couple of days because people it's like really funny because people are like laughing about it and they'll call me like a super senior so I get some people that are like you're a super senior haha I'm like leave me alone because I feel like maybe it's my trauma bond to the school I talk to a lot of like teachers about this in their offices whenever I'm like there too but there's such a like trauma bond to being at Oxford that whenever I'm there it's kind of like it's so weird to say but I'm like the happiest that I like am like I'm more happy than I am like at home so, like, I'll be at Oxford, yeah. and whenever I get a text that I need to come up there, that I want to come <laughs> do something, or I just want to come visit an old class, I get so excited, and I, like, can't sleep the night before. And I'm like, what am I going to wear? Who am I going to talk to? <laughs> what old friends that are, like, in younger grades, like, who am I going to see? 
So it definitely does bring back memories sometimes for me walking in the hallways whenever I am there. But I try, it's not like the same for me as where I remember, oh, I jumped out of this window or, oh, this person came and banged on my door mm-hmm. unless I go down that hallway. But I think I do it like not necessarily on purpose, but I kind of avoid that hallway. Mm-hmm. And I just realized like I've never I don't really walk down that a lot. So it I don't know. It, it brings me joy to be in the school, but I think I don't do it on purpose, but I do skip that hallway. I understand that. I kind of relate to that because I think. The first couple weeks after everything, like, I had to get evac down the main hall, and mm-hmm. I was down that 400 in the center, which is where my class was. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard to avoid, but I remember trying to avoid the corner where the actual shooter came out of the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to find any way I could to avoid that hall. And then after a couple of weeks, I think it was into April, I avoided that hall. Mm-hmm. I realized I'm going to be here for another year, and I feel like I'm going to have to confront this eventually. And I may as well do it now when I'm surrounded by friends than on my own when I feel like my thoughts could get to me. Mm. So in April, I started going down that hall um, to get to some of my classes. And after time, it got a little bit easier and easier. And having friends with me definitely helped because we would just talk as we were walking through, kind of trying to take focus off of it. And Mm. now I'm a senior. It's November, and I can go down that hall worry-free, which is really nice. That's good. Yeah, but it's a little funky still. Like Mm. I think as we get closer to the 30th, People in general, including me, are just a little more on edge. How have you been coping, like, over the past year? Um, I think initially I was coping kind of unhealthily. I was self-isolating a lot because I thought I could handle it on my own. And I already had a therapist lined up um, for other stuff I was going through. Like, talking to her and going through, like, the... She wasn't, like, specifically for trauma, but um, she was still able to help me cope. And then I started doing endurance running more. It took like a couple weeks and then I found solace in working out and in fitness and in routine and setting up a routine for myself definitely helped. Like how did your little journey with March for Our Lives start? Um, I remember telling my mom about it and she was like, this will be good for you. You need to get, yeah. like, get out of the funk that you've been in and get out mm-hmm. and kind of branch out more. And so I finally said, okay, because they were like kind of bugging me about it. And I went to speak at that event, and it's just been going since then. That's awesome. It's been so cool being in this space. Be- being an activist fills that little hole mm-hmm. that has been there since the 30th. It does. Yeah. Because like, it feels like you're helping to prevent the next one or yeah, to do something about the next like one. Like to try and make, even if there's one kid that mm-hmm. doesn't have to go through what you and I went through on the 30th and what so many others went through, like that makes it worth it. Like out of all the flyers we handed out today, if one of those people joins March for Our Lives and starts being an advocate or starts going to marches, then it makes it all worth it. Yeah, it'll be like all worthwhile. Um, how does your family feel about like your activism? Mm, my parents are justifiably anxious. Um, they're very proud of me, but they're concerned about safety. So they're anxious because they're scared about the state of the world right now. They, I'm a young girl. You're a young mm-hmm. girl. Like, yeah. And going out in public and advocating can be really dangerous, especially for women um, and women of color. And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, they're very nervous. Um, they do support everything I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a larger scale, they get more anxious, like when I get invited to D.C. or I get yeah. invited to do bigger events because that puts me on a much larger platform that they're nervous something's going to bad's going to come of it. Do you know anyone that wants to kind of forget or move past? Because I know I've definitely had friends like that. Yeah, that's actually how um, one of my siblings is very mm-hmm. much. Um, we coped um, very differently. So um, he's on the side of I kind of want to not forget it happened, but mm-hmm. I want to move past it. Um, I want to not think about it because it makes him anxious and upset. 
Um, I, on the other hand, am very much like people shouldn't stop talking about it. I mean, there's appropriate times to talk about it and appropriate times not to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't need it brought up every five seconds. Yeah. But I very much like in the movement and talking about it. And he's very much like acknowledging what happened, but he wants to move past it, which I completely understand because people cope with trauma differently. And if that's how someone needs to cope with trauma, and by all means, please go do it because... As long as it's healthy coping, then it's coping and it's okay. So what do you want to see happen in, like, kind of the gun violence prevention space? Okay. So for me, one of the big reasons I got into March for Our Lives was because Michigan does not have a safe storage law. Mm -hmm. They don't require um, people to safely store guns in their home. And that applies directly to our Oxford case where um, the parents are accused of not are accused of not locking their guns up thus giving the perpetrator free access to them where he could go and harm people. So that's something I really want to see happen um, in the Michigan government is for both sides, um, Republican and Democrat, to compromise and to pass this bill that would protect more people. Because um, federally, we have had stuff happen. Um, like you went to the, I believe it was the bipartisan... Oh, Save Your Communities Act. Yeah, Save Your yeah. Communities Act. And that was amazing. But Michigan as a state hasn't done much. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see that change. My big thing for me is just like increased mental health resources, which we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So just making sure that students have that information before the bad thing happens. And then just making sure we get these tougher laws passed. There's just so much more we can't do. I just hope to see in the future more communication and more bipartisan legislation that's going to protect students and prevent another Oxford from happening. Since the shooting at Oxford one year ago, there have been about 750 mass shootings in America. There have been seven shootings at schools since Oxford, leaving 29 students and staff killed and 29 more injured by gunfire. Family, friends, colleagues, and neighbors in each of those places are part of a community with Oxford a community they never asked or wanted to be a part of, but a growing community nonetheless. Last week, the superintendent of Oxford Schools announced he will resign. He cited his deteriorating health and the need to recover from the events of November 30th. We reached out to the Oxford School District, as well as the Oxford School Board, for comment on the concerns raised in this hour, but we have not heard back from them. A huge thank you to the teachers, students, and parents who shared their time and their stories with us. Today's program was produced by and would not be possible without April Van Buren, Rachel Ishikawa, and Mercedes Mejia. You can hear extended conversations with our guests from today and see photos of them, too, at our website, michiganradio.org. Thanks to Digital Director Jody Westrick. Additional help from Ronia Kabansag, Paulette Parker, and Brad Gowland. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. I'm April Bear. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.